morning. Well, this is like home for us. So some of you that don't know me, my name is Chris Whitney. My wife Elaine and I founded One Generation Away. We're the directors. Uh, we moved here a little over 17 and a half years ago to start a church, which we did. It was called National Family Church down on Columbia Avenue. And we merged about eight years later with Hope Church Franklin because we knew we had to step away to run One Gen Away. And so uh, we have a long-standing history with this amazing church and this amazing congregation. And there's a lot of deep-rooted relationship and friendships in this room. And it is a privilege and an honor for me to be here today. I can't tell you how excited I am to be here, what a, what a joy it is to be with you. And um, if it's okay with you all, I'll give you an update on One Gen at the end. Because I feel like the reason God wanted me here was because I wanted to breathe some hope and life into this church that I value so tremendously in this community. And um, your church is planted in such an amazing position in this influential community. And I want you all to be encouraged today and challenged today on how you use that for God's glory as we expand the kingdom of God. Amen? So uh, I titled uh, this morning's message, Fourth Avenue, a church positioned for impact. And I know we prayed, but I love to pray. So uh, Dr. Lemons, my mentor, will love that we're going to pray again, right? For those of you who know Dr. Lemons. So Father, thank you for this morning. Father, I pray for the tongue of a ready writer, a word in season. God, not my words, but your words be spoken. I pray that every heart, mind, and ear is open to receive what you would have to say today, Father. To you be all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've got a Bible, and I think it'll be put up on the screen, you can open up to Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. Revelation chapter 3. This is a really, a really cool place in the book of Revelation. There's seven churches that are written about. And uh, I have, I'll be full disclosure, I have a love-hate relationship with the church. And you're thinking, well, what in the world are you doing here? That's a great question. I don't really know, but I'm here. No. I love the church for who she is supposed to be. I disdain the church for who she has become. So I'm just giving you some full disclosure on the front end. When you hear me talk, you're going to understand where I'm coming from, I hope. And that I believe the church is the bride of Christ. And he's looking for a church that has no spot or wrinkle. You all are a lot closer than a lot of churches I've pastored or been in. So you guys are much closer to being without spot or wrinkle. So that's good. But... I hope this morning that you would be encouraged, and once again I said challenge. So Revelation 3, verse 7 through 13, it says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Now, I'd like to stop there for a minute. I'm going to come back, hopefully, and pick up where I'm left off. Don't mind me. I believe this is like the church in Philadelphia, this church. There's a tremendous calling on this church. There's an effective door of service that has been opened for you. And Paul said there are many adversaries. I want to encourage you this morning. You have been called for such a time as this. I know you've been without a, a senior pastor for over a year. I know all the things that are going on right now. And I know you're wearied, and I know it's hard, but I want to encourage you this morning. You are destined to be here right now. You are called to be here right now, to be a, a beacon for this city, for this region. 
So we go on and it says, indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of, uh, of, of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you because you have kept my command to persevere. I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Woo, that's pretty cool. I have no idea what that looks like, but it just sounds really awesome. He who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The other six letters weren't so kind. <laughs> so at least I picked a good one, right? The kind one. Now I want you to turn to James chapter 5, verse 16. The second half of that verse, first half starts with Elijah, was a man of like passion as us. He prayed it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. We know the story, right? But what it says in verse B, it says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So I'll give you a little bit of how much I know about 4th Avenue. This church has been here a long, long time. I'm old, but I'm not that old. This church has been here, it was planted here over 100 years ago, way over 100 years ago. And it went through a lot of different trials and tribulations in a, in a, in a, in a, uh, a young man, we call him, an, I, he's, he's not a young man, but he's a young man to me because anybody that's got the energy he does in his 80s is a young man. Dr. Albert Lemons was hired here to pray, to establish, reestablish the impact of this church. You are one of the most praying churches I have ever met. It's one of the reasons I love this place so much. You created a prayer room back here. You put a prayer wall outside. You've turned a house into a prayer building. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And imagine when it says one can put a thousand to flight, two can put ten thousand to flight. My math's pretty good, but I can't count that high with all those people in this room. That's a lot of stuff that it puts to flight. I want to encourage you to continue to pray, to continue to seek God. Your prayers are creating the atmosphere for revival. Don't look at me like that. Listen to what I just said. Your prayers are creating the atmosphere for revival. We need revival. Now, I, I, I firmly believe, I'm going to share something I probably have never shared in a pulpit that I can remember, but I feel like now's the time. I felt like years ago I was in a meeting here in Middle Tennessee up in Nashville with a guy that was a revival expert, and I believe that this isn't very prophetic at this point because this was a long time ago and now it's, you're seeing it happen, that we will be the epicenter of the next revival. When I say we, I mean Middle Tennessee, the Nashville area, the surrounding regions. 
But I don't believe it will look like anything we've ever seen before because I believe God's going to purge his bride first and purge his church. And as a Gideon moment, he's going to take the remnant and there the revival will come. So these things you've been going through for the last year, these struggles and these tensions, it's just a purging, a pruning, so God can use you for the revival that is to come. You should be encouraged by that. You all have created the pillar of prayer in this region. You all have, have intentionally, see intentionality is everything to God. People are always saying, you know, I'm waiting on God to do a new thing where you're going to wait a long time because Jesus said it is finished. God's done all he's going to do. Now we're his vessels for that to be manifested. That had been a good amen time. It's okay. I understand why you don't say amen because that means, I used to tell the teenagers, I'm going to use the R word. I'm getting ready to cuss right now, so watch out. The R word, responsibility. Woo! We carry the responsibility of the gospel. Amen? Now, we always think that that's this easy thing. But see, your prayers are plowing. It's like we used to talk about, Elaine and I, in times in our life. You ever had these seasons when you feel like you're praying through concrete? You're like plowing concrete? Alan here, he knows, you know, it's, it's hard enough. to. It, sometimes the dirt's easier to plow than others. And some dirt yields better harvest than others. But just because it's hard to plow doesn't mean there's not good dirt down there somewhere to plant in. It's just going to take some time to till it again and again and again, to till that soil till, that, till we can see the harvest that we've been believing for. So I want to encourage you, your prayers are creating an atmosphere for revival. So please keep praying. Keep leading us to pray. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. This has become a hallmark scripture of who we are and what makes us tick. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? That's a big word, isn't it? What does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So if you were to ask me, say, hey, Chris, what, what should I do? <laughs> this is what you should do, because this is what God requires of you. To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's what you should do. If you do that, everything else will take care of itself. It really will. Justice. To live right in relationship, to live right in relation to one's fellow man in social, political, and industrial affairs. Woo, we're really good at that right now as a country. That was sarcasm, by the way. And you know what? I, I'm not concerned about the, I know you're going to think, dude, you've lost your ever-loving mind. I'm not concerned about the country being divided. I'm really concerned about the church being divided. That is uncalled for and is not biblical. Let's read James chapter 3 and come call me if you think I'm wrong. The church is creating strife. And it says in James 3 where there's strife, there's every form of evil work. 
If this church is creating strife and evil work, how in the world are we the church of Jesus Christ? We have to learn how to get along. To live in right relation to one's fellow man in social, political, and industrial affairs. Psalm 82.1. God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods, small g. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Free from the hand of the wicked. That's the church. That's the church. It's a messy job. I wrote a book, I called it The Dirty Church. You want to know why? Because doing the work of the church is dirty. Not in a foul way, but it's just you are going to get your hand, you're going to have dirt under your fingernails, you're going to, your hands are going to be dirty, they're going to be greasy, you're going to be sweaty, grimy, because it's work. Because there's resistance. So this will tell you how uh, Elaine and I are wired a little weird. She probably wasn't weird until she married me, and, and, uh, but, you know, she's now wired kind of like this. We, we never, we never, uh, we are never worried about resistance because we feel like if we're not meeting resistance, we are obviously not doing anything to impact what is trying to stop us. If, if something's not trying to stop us, we're not making an impact. The devil's a worthy adversary. He's trying to stop the gospel from being spread. So if you're not meeting resistance, you need to pray. I mean, seriously, fast and pray and say, God, what should I be doing? Because I'm not being resisted. This church has met some resistance. Don't be discouraged in that. Be encouraged because you are something's trying to hold you back from the impact that you carry into this community. You're starting to see a theme develop here, right? Okay, good. Mercy, steadfast, loving kindness, actively compassionate, actively compassionate. Now, uh-oh, somebody's trying to call me. Um, actively compassionate. So compassion is not really, was not really a big gift of mine. Eight years ago, and some of you know this story, Keith can relate to this story. Eight years ago right now, I had stage three cancer and was waiting for my first treatment. Just over eight years ago now, in a couple months, I got a call, probably my second or third treatment, chemo treatment on a Monday. I went chemo on Mondays, radiation Monday through Friday, had stage three throat cancer. And when you talk for a living or speak, that's a bummer, you know what I mean? That can be a little bit of a detriment. I got a call from... Dr. Lemons, and how many people have been able to say no to Dr. Lemons? I didn't think there'd be a lot of hands, but there might be, but it's really hard to say. So Mondays were a hard day for me. It was, a, it was like a 12-hour day, close to that, 10 hours, depending on where we were. And he said, hey, we're having prayer tonight at, at Fourth Avenue with the shepherds, and I need you to come and get prayed for. Well, when you've been radiated and chemoed, you just, Keith can relate, you just, you know what, you just don't really feel like going and seeing anybody. It's not like you feel like, but... Dr. Lemon said, come and y'all are going to pray. I'm, I'm going to show up. And I did. And it was holy. I heard this booming voice. Y'all know whose voice this is, right? One of the shepherds. This booming voice in the hallway. It's like, dang, man, that sounds like, that sounds like, you know, a voice of God or something. I'm like, who is that, you know? I think it's like James Earl Jones, but white. 
It was Alan Gentry. <laughs> Y'all laughed. You know what I'm talking about, right? I said, I got to get to know that guy. The way he prayed and, the, and people prayed for me that night. That was active compassion. And since I have my cancer, I've become a lot more compassionate for people. It's that club you never want to join. But when you do, it changes who you are from the inside out. So actively compassionate. Walk humbly. To have humility and devotion to God through faith. To have humility and devotion to God through faith. People ask me all the time, how do I pray for you? Pray that I stay humble and that I keep the train on the tracks. Tell them all the time. Without humility, our judgment can grow greater than our mercy. It's way better than your reaction. Think about this. Without humility, our judgment can grow greater than our mercy. We've become great in the church about judging people and, and, and polarizing and doing all these things. But our mercy is just, our mercy meter is going down, 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 down. It's like we have to vilify people so that we can, we don't have to look at our own sin. Well, your sin's worse than mine, brother, so shoot, I'm holy. No, that statement means you're not holy. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Zechariah chapter 7, verses 8 through 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, execute true justice, show mercy and compassion, everyone to his brother. Everyone, I think that includes all of us. And brother doesn't mean like the person sitting in the church pew next to you, by the way, either. Your brother and sister are out there in the highways and the byways. As we seek and save those who are lost. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. I think that just stands on its own. But it's a great scripture for the church. Doing my daily Bible reading, if you don't do one, I would encourage you. Uh, I, I don't allow myself to even have a highlighter or a pen when I do my daily Bible reading. Because God convicted me. That when I, I read the Bible all the time, but I was reading it to study, to share the gospel, to share a message like this on a stage. I never, I wasn't reading it for myself. So God convicted me on a mission trip years ago, and in the last four years ago, and I've been in a, a pretty heavy McShane Bible reading plan that I love. I don't carry a Bible, I don't carry a pen with me or a highlighter. It's not to study, it's just to read. And boy, I was reading, and Zechariah 7 jumped out. I've read that how many times, boy, but it just leapt off the page, and I went, that's a word for the church today. Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. He will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was... I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. 
Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did you see a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly I say to you, and as much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you not, did not visit me. Then also, they, then they also will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Assuredly I say to you, and as much as you did to, to one of the least of these, you, should, you did it unto me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I know you all know that verse. But I'm telling you, what you are walking in and what, what I believe you are gifted and called to do is going to cause you to do this. It's going to cause you to step outside this building into the highways. It's going to cause you to open these doors more than Sunday morning. When there's a festival in this town, your doors ought to be wide open. You ought to have water out on the sidewalk for free. You ought to be doing everything you can to be 4th Avenue Church of Christ that I know. This is the part of the message where I might not get invited back, so just be, it's okay. Just kidding. Maybe, I don't know. Matthew 5, verse 14 through 16. Think about this in light of who you are and where you are. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. This church, this building where you are is meant to be a light. My God, you've got a farmer's market in the back. You've got so much visibility here. You are so known in this community. Man, don't try to cover it. Let it shine. Be intentional. Let it blast out. I live up next to the factory over across from Liberty Elementary School. I want to be able to see the light of this church from my house over a mile, a mile away. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, ooh, I got three minutes, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which, which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, and endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and the Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Then you go down to verse 11, Ephesians chapter 4. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. A pastor of this church has one job, to equip you for the work of the ministry. We can no longer build churches where the responsibility is on the people that are on a stage. It was never meant to be that way. It was meant to be so that we could equip everyone in this room to go out and do the work of the ministry and we would walk with you and do that work. That was another good amen time, but that's okay. I'm going to get you all in the rhythm here soon. 
for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Now I'm just going to leave it at that. You can read the rest. I can remember serving in the floods with you all. Phil, I saw Phil earlier here. Phil doing the house, the blue house that's down over here on the, we called it the blue house. Now it's like a beautiful another house off the ground. But we, all these houses we did together. I remember that. I remember you all collecting food for us. I remember the day that I stood on this stage and preached a message and we raised 20-something thousand dollars to buy our first really true refrigerated truck from this church. Our history is so deep, what you guys have done in and through this community. You've got the floods. You've got a daycare here. I've been here in the morning meeting with Gary Schrader and watching these families bring their kids in to this house of the king and, and these kids being raised in the admonition of the Lord. My God, man, Franktown open hearts. The things that have been started and housed here and done. Do you not think you're going to meet some resistance? Come on, it's okay. Be encouraged, man. You ought to say, bring it on, devil. I read the end of the book. We win. Remember that. We win. I just figured the end was so good I probably should read the rest. That's kind of how we all are, aren't we? We win. You win. Okay. Real quick. Share about one gen. Y'all bought our first real refrigerated truck. Seriously. We started out of the back of a car with a vision and a dream. This year we'll provide over... Three million meals, almost three and a half million meals last year. We have started the replication project process. The vision was to feed a million people on a Saturday morning around the country and a million people being prayed with face to face by the local church. You all planted the seed for that to begin. Now we have, we're getting ready to have our third 26 foot refrigerated truck. We have a 26-foot box truck, a 48-foot refrigerated trailer, a 16-foot refrigerated truck, a van, a pickup truck, forklift, I don't know, five or six electric pallet jacks. I mean, we just moved to Cool Springs because we had to get out of our building, and um, we're just, God just, we've replicated in Alabama. We've got, we've hired a person in Alabama. We're in Florida right now, so we're in three states on a regular basis right now. We've been in Kentucky already. We're going back to Kentucky. We've been over in West Tennessee providing food for them right now in the middle of the natural disasters. So God is doing some amazing things. And thank you to this church because you sowed. See, everything that one gen does, you, whether you know it or not, from now till we step away and somebody takes over, you're, this church is reaping from that. You all have reaping souls in Alabama and Florida and Texas, all these different places we have been. You all are getting part of that because you kept the vision alive. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of our heart. Young people over here. I know I'm running like two minutes over. Y'all fire me. It's okay. <laughs> Your generation is why we started One Gen. You've got the vision for people. You've got the heart of God. You've got the desire to say, hey, what are we doing in here? Why aren't we doing something out there? Stay with it. God is real. Jesus is real. Don't ever let anybody tell you he's not. Don't ever back down from who you are or what you've been called to do. Because your generation will usher in the glory of the king. Okay, I'll stop there. Mark, do you want to come on up? I'd keep going, but, you know.
there's another Sunday, right? I am really grateful from the bottom of my heart for this church. I hope you sense that. Elaine and I pray for you all the time. We do. We really, we, we're down here a lot. We pray for this church. I believe you've been positioned in such a strategic way for what God's doing and what he's going to, what he's fixing to do. We're in the South. You got to be fixing to do something. Pray for your shepherds. God's bringing in the next leader for this church. But I believe that leader should be someone that's going to lead you not just in this building, but outside this building. And I'm going to leave you with one last thing. Your footprint ought to be bigger than your foot. And if it's not, you're not trusting God yet. You're supposed to have a regional influence, not just a local influence. Hear what I just said. You're supposed to have a regional influence, not just a local influence. Stir up your faith. Get on your knees. God's fixing to take you places you never dreamed you would go. But you're going to see the glory of the king. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.